People's Church family. If you would turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, I'm going to read from verse 1 to 11. You can follow along at home. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Well, where were you when 9-11 happened? Some of you young people, you're like, what's 9-11? You weren't even born yet. But for those who were, well, you probably remember where you were when it happened. Seniors remember where they were when President John F. Kennedy was assassinated. I remember I was on a school bus when President Ronald Reagan was shot. What about the time of COVID? Young people, you will be remembering this, and if the Lord tarries, you'll be telling your children and your great-grandchildren one day, and you won't be saying, where were you when, but rather, for long months, where you remained, at home. I was home with my family for weeks and months. This is one long shared family experience. Now Paul in chapter 5 here, as I've read, is completing a section of Romans. And he's underlining now the shared family experiences of the Roman house churches. In past weeks, we learned that all are sinners, but we are justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, we are put on the right track with God through faith, not works. He says in verse 1, recapping the last four chapters, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, since God has put us on the right track, 
We have responded to him in faith. He has also told us that Abraham is all of our spiritual father. Jew, Gentile, as Abraham believed God, so we believe God in his revelation of his son Jesus. But now he focuses on peace and a reconciled relationship with himself. He says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This word peace means a cessation of hostilities between God and between the person who has faith. We were in our self, in our flesh. We were in rebellion. We were in opposition. We were hostile and in conflict with God. Colossians, Paul writes, you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But no more, he says, there is peace between God and those who have faith in him. And we know how he made peace. Colossians says he made peace by the blood of the cross. Now in this passage through to verse 11, the language of peace is being used. Uh, this was well-known language to every Roman citizen. They were inundated with the imperial propaganda that lauded the benefits of the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. Augustus Caesar, who was the Caesar when Christ was born, instituted what he called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, and it would go on for some 150 years and certainly continued to be um, talked about and pressed and, and uh, uh, told to the public through various avenues of, of advertising and propaganda in the time of this letter to the Romans, in the time of Nero. The Roman peace was an oxymoron, we would say. It was actually a forced submission of whole peoples, of entire nations, under the yoke of Roman conquest. A whole lot of people were systematically killed, murdered, enslaved, so that the emperor could claim to be the representative of the human race, the prince, the ruler of the world, the reconciler of people, the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And so Paul picks up on the language, uh, the imperial language of peace. But, and he shows that the family of God truly enjoys peace with God himself. And he says, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how he uses the full name of our Savior. He says, Jesus, the Jesus of Nazareth, his humanity. He's the promised Messiah, the Christ. He is Lord. He is God. And he says, our Lord, that we together share Christ. He's our Savior. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul would say these words, that Christ himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh 
the dividing wall of hostility. He is our peace, and he's brought together those who were hostile. Peace between God and peace between each other. Jesus is the true prince, the ruler of all, the reconciler of people with God and each other. And he does something completely different than Caesar. He doesn't demand the death of those who are in rebellion against him. He dies for them instead. Verse 6 says, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul uses a cascade of terms here to describe our condition. He says we're weak, ungodly, sinners, enemies of God. This is the human condition. But the solution to this problem of humanity is not human. I mean, what is described here is not the behavior of humans. This isn't how human leaders act. You know, the Jews had a book called Sirach, which was part of their wisdom literature. And there it says these words, give to the godly, but do not help the sinner. This was the attitude, and this is the attitude of the fallen human flesh. Do not help the sinner. Seneca, the philosopher, would say, give help to those who deserve it. Aristotle would say, do good to your friends. And yet here, Christ dies for sinners. This is how God acts. He didn't require our death like Caesar. Even though we were God's enemies, he gave himself. This is sacred. This is divine. This is the peace that was so dearly bought. And in this peace, we are first introduced to love. He says in verse 8, God shows his love, that is, introduces his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the, our first encounter with God's love, the giving of his son for our sins. I mean, everyone talks about the love of God today. Those who don't even believe in God talk about the love of God. Everyone relies on his love. The world believes it deserves God's love. What's not to love? They have no sense of the hostility that exists between themselves and God. They have no sense of the wrath of God against their sins and the conflict that they're in and the rebellion against God that they are living in. But through the death of Christ on the cross, we have peace with God. And the cross of Christ is our introduction our first experience of God's love. Think of it, the number of scriptures that speak of this. 
John 3.16, you're familiar with. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Or Ephesians chapter 2, God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you are saved. You have been saved. First John 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. Or First John 4, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. When a baby is born, mom and dad, they nurture him, they hold her, they love her. The baby is introduced to love at the beginning of life. When we are born again into God's family, through Christ, we are introduced to God's love. And we as Christians share this experience. Every day we, we, we wake up and we are blessed. We are at peace with God. And we can point to the cross and say, there I first knew what love was like. There I first understood what God's love was like. The hymn says, here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. Who his love will not remember? Who can cease to sing his praise? He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal day. This introduction to God's love is like coming before him, being granted an audience before God. He says in verse 2, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. This grace, with grace un, is the undeserved, unmerited favor of God is said to be like a cocoon. We live in a cocoon of grace. Grace above, grace below, grace all around. And like a caterpillar, we are changing in this cocoon of grace. And we're being transformed. And we're becoming something more beautiful, more wonderful to be revealed on resurrection day. We live in the dominion of grace and surrounded by grace, he says, we stand. That is that we can face all things. We stand. <laughs> Ongoing. Our daily family life experience is standing in his grace together. Notice it doesn't say that we stand on our rights. It doesn't say that we stand in protest for inconveniences. It doesn't say we stand 
on fairness. It doesn't even say that we stand on principle. It doesn't say we stand on freedoms. There is a great many things it seems Christians want to stand on these days. And many are fighting and angry and opinionated about so many things. We need to spend more time in appreciation of the cocoon of grace in which we live and let that humble us and to be reverent and holy and even quiet before God. Perhaps he is pruning us and purifying us to stand only in grace. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above. You know, families have shared experiences. Seth has shown us the family meal, a great shared family experience that happens every day. Perhaps it's a trip to the beach as well or some gathering around a campfire. I grew up looking so forward to one special night in my family. It was family movie night, our home movies. Dad would get out the projector and the reels. You young people, that's like casting or mirroring or something. Mom would make the popcorn and we settled in to watch our home movies. A shared family experience that was so treasured. And we, as the family of God, and with the familia romana, Paul is describing our shared daily experience as Christians. That we are set on the right track with God, by God, and there is peace between us and Him. And that we have been introduced to God's love at the cross, and we continue in His grace daily, through all, all through the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is our daily family life. And then he moves on to rejoicing, doesn't he? Look at verse 3. He says, not, verse, verse 2, he says at the end of verse 2, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This is speaking of our family's future, the eschatological hope of being conformed fully to the image of Christ and ultimately being resurrected, uh, that we will see him face to face, ourselves risen as he is risen. You know, we often speak of salvation in present terms. We say, are you saved or have you been saved, we may say. But scripture most always, almost always, speaks of salvation in future terms. with the resurrection in view. Look at verse 9 where he says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Looking ahead to the completeness of salvation, we will be saved. He says in verse 10, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God, by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved 
by his life. Salvation viewed in its completeness is necessarily a future. We are rescued from the wrath of God by the blood of Jesus on that day. Do you know if you will be rescued on that future day when you stand before God? Will you be saved? Then there is only one person who died for you that you would be reconciled in your relationship with God, at peace with God, forgiven. He didn't require your death, but he died for you, our Lord Jesus Christ. I read this week that William Shatner, a Canadian actor who's 90 years old now, he was interviewed, and this week, uh, he, he, his interview was reported, and he said such a sad thing, such an awful thing, such a lie. He said this, take it easy, nothing really matters in the end. And I thought, how can you go through 90 years of life? And that is your conclusion? Nothing matters in the end? What would your loved ones be thinking when they hear that? And what would God think? He who made him and created him. Nothing matters? Yes, it does matter. Everything matters. And at the end... There is a judgment. There is an accounting. And you will need Jesus with you on that day. Put your faith in him. Have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says in verse 11, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we now have received reconciliation, a new relationship at peace with God. And then finally in verse 3, he says to also rejoice in suffering. We rejoice in our sufferings. Well, this is not any sort of suffering that he's referring to. There is suffering that is common to all men. I mean, we get sick or we have different things happen to us. What Paul is speaking of uh, consistently in his letters is, is the suffering that one goes through because of faith in Jesus. Trials, tribulations, because of faith. There are many trials of faith. This past week, many were martyred. Many Christians were martyred in Nigeria, killed. Some are overlooked for promotions. That's very real, painful. Some feel the deep grief of children who have rejected Christ and what that does to relationships. Some face hatred, injustice, discomfort or pain. 
slander or censure. Listen to what Peter says. It's helpful in our day. He says, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord, as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. It's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. He says, make a defense of the gospel. It's not a defense of conspiracies. He's not saying spend your time as Christians defending or, or protesting or Defending your COVID opinions and websites or defending the Canadian Constitution or the Charter of Rights. It's talking about the defense of the gospel. And then he says, do it with gentleness and respect. Not defiant. Not with accusations. Not by dehumanizing other people and calling them names. And then he says... And speaks of our good behavior in Christ. Suffering in Christ, he tells us, produces Christ-like character in us, in our life. He says that here in, in verse 3 and 4. He says it produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, he says. That it is the God's school, uh, suffering has been called that, God's school uh, is divine education plan. And he says, we know, knowing this, that is, this is our shared experience. We understand suffering is not all bad. It produces good things. Such things as holiness, perhaps, and wisdom, and virtue, and humility. It bears fruit in us. And then he says in verse 5 about love. Notice, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We've spoken already about the introduction of love at the cross. We un we're introduced to God's love there on Calvary. But here he speaks of that same love now being poured out in us by his spirit it's a gift of God to us poured into us his love on an ongoing basis into that inner place he says the heart you know this is Pentecost Sunday as we heard earlier uh, the scripture spoke of of the spirit being first given to the church and the rushing wind and the tongues of fire the Spirit of God coming into his people. And so all who are in Christ Jesus have the Spirit of God. And his Spirit pours into his people. The people of faith pours his love. So much love poured into us that it must leak out of us. And Paul will go on and speak of this in 
coming chapters of Romans where he'll say, love does no wrong to a neighbor. He says, owe no one anything except to love each other. He says, uh, all the commandments are summed up in this. He says, you shall love your neighbor even as yourself. The love of God poured into us is going to leak out of us. It ought to, it must. Of thy fullness thou art pouring thy great love and power on me without measure, full and boundless, drawing out our heart to thee. Shared family experiences are said to be at the core of healthy families. Perhaps it's volunteering together or working together to make a meal and give it to some other family in need. Or perhaps it's even going through the pain of the passing of a grandparent or the sickness of a child. And certainly the present COVID lockdowns are giving families shared experiences to remember. Perhaps in God's providence, there will be some good things for you to remember and to talk about at the dinner table in the years ahead. Things that you've shared as a family and what you've gone through and the blessings along the way. But no matter present circumstances, whether they're easy or they're hard, if you are a Christian, every day you open your eyes and you swing your legs off your bed. Every day is a day of shared experiences with the family of God throughout history. You have been set on the right track by God. You are justified. You are in a reconciled relationship with God. You have peace with him. You are in a cocoon of grace. And in grace you stand. And in grace you rejoice. You have a future day to rejoice in. Resurrection and rescue and redemption. And present trials and suffering and faith you can rejoice in. Because our character is being changed to something wonderful, something beautiful. It's being changed towards Christ. And we have been introduced to his love at the cross. And the love of God then is constantly and continually being poured into us by his spirit. So much love that it must come out of us. This is our daily life. This is our family life. It's the family of God. Our shared experiences. And so enjoy your day. Whatever his providence entrusts to you today. And remember that day long ago when there was morning and there was evening. And behold, it was very good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, take your word, seal it to our hearts. And in this cocoon of grace in which we stand, continue your work and your changing influence and power on us and through us to bless other people. Thank you for Jesus. 
that we can say together, our Lord Jesus Christ, that he is our Savior. Bless us. Fill us with your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.